Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. Mark Batterson tells a story in one of his recent books about the Wright brothers. Uh, the Wright brothers uh, are obviously the, the guys who uh, were the first ones uh, for powered flight. And so they, in 1896, uh, the summer of 1896, Orville was stricken with typhoid fever and he was in bed for months on end. And that gave his brother Wilbur a captive audience to be able to read to him and to uh, share some of the things, some of his interests and some of his curiosities. And some of those things were about this thing called flight. And it was an impossible thing at that time. I mean, imagine a world where there were, where no airplanes had ever existed, where there was no flight travel. There was no, n- none of that. I mean, that was just an impossibility. It was a crazy talk. And so uh, that kind of sparked something in these brothers. And so later on, eventually in 1899, on May 30th, they wrote on Wright Cycle Stationery, they wrote to the Smithsonian Institution, and they wrote uh, for all the information that they had on flight, which wasn't very much at the time, but they began to just be in, in inquisitive about this and curious about that. And one of the books was written by a French farmer poet, which I don't know how you become one of those, but he was a French farmer poet that somebody described him as this, as a prophet crying in the wilderness, exhorting the world to repent of its unbelief in the possibility of human flight. To repent of, the, of its unbelief in the possibility of human flight. Now, of course, it was in 1903, I believe, that later on they, they did this for the very first time after many, many attempts, and they succeeded. But that phrase, to repent of the possibility, or repent of its unbelief in the possibility of human flight, repent, why? Because I believe, uh, just as Mark was laying out in his book, that it's not just our sins that we need to repent of at times, that sometimes we need to actually repent, which simply means to change our thinking or to change our direction. We need to repent of our small thinking. We need to repent of the areas where we have put a lid and we've said, this is impossible. Maybe you're looking at your marriage today and you're saying, this is impossible. Maybe you're looking at relationship, this is impossible. Looking at your finances, this is impossible. You're looking at the dreams God has put in your heart many years ago and you're saying, this is now impossible. And there may be an opportunity for many of us in this room today to repent of our unbelief and in the possibilities that God may have, and the thinking in what I would say are actually ungodly ways. Do you realize that small thinking is ungodly? Because it's not thinking like God. God doesn't think small. God has never had a small thought. I mean, God does not think small. And so if we want to think like God or think godly, then we may have to change or repent of small-minded thinking. So Ephesians chapter 3, starting, let's look at verse 20 and 21. It says this. I've used the amplified version just so you could hear it better. Uh, Now, to him who is able, I was just seeing if you were awake this morning, all right? All right, to him who's able to carry out his purpose and to do super abundantly more than all we could dare, all we dare ask or think 
infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes, or dreams, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory of the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That verse is so rich right there. I mean, when I read that verse, I think this thought. I think we serve a limitless God. Limitless God. Think about that. I've shared this before, but this illustration just starts to blow my mind. I was reading a book by John Bevere, and, and he was talking about just kind of the universe and just the, giving us a perspective of how big God is and used some of these illustrations in his book to illustrate the awe of God even in creation. You know, the, the moon uh, orbits the earth at about 239,000 miles from earth and our modern aircraft and airplane might take, you know, fly at 500 miles per hour. So if we were to travel by an airplane to the moon, it would take us roughly 19 days nonstop flight. No layovers, <laughs> just a nonstop flight. I'm sure there's going to be meals on that flight. 19 days, imagine just nonstop. And eventually at 500 miles an hour, you would get to the moon. Yet light reaches us, it reaches that distance in 1.3 seconds. Why? Because light travels at 186,280 miles per second. That's roughly 670 million miles per hour. That's hard to comprehend. Light traveling at roughly 670 million miles per hour. Now, the sun is 93 million miles away. So if we were to take a jet to the sun, it would take us roughly 21 years. Again, nonstop flight to get 21 years to the sun, nonstop, and yet sunlight is roughly eight minutes old when you walk out today. Hopefully there will be some sun. But yet it would take you 21 years nonstop to get from the earth to the sun. As you got closer, you'd probably regret the trip that you were taking because you would not exist. Now, just to give us a little uh, perspective of this, imagine a peppercorn, which I don't have one. I meant to get one, but a, a, just a peppercorn that that would, to give us a scale model, a peppercorn would represent the size of earth. And to represent the sun, it, we would take about an eight inch ball. So throw me that ball there. If we had, this is roughly, so if you imagine a peppercorn and this were the sun, to illustrate the distance between earth and the sun on a scale model, I would have to put this peppercorn at this back wall and then place this little red or this orange ball uh, about 10 feet, 12 feet out in the parking lot beyond that wall. Okay, so if we put this, that would be the size difference, a peppercorn against this wall, about 10, 12 feet out, this ball sitting outside. And remember, according to our scale, it would take us 21 years to travel in an aircraft that distance. Now, that just gives you a little perspective as to how far that is. Now, if we were to look at the nearest star beyond our sun, if we were to say, what's the next biggest star or the next star that's closest to our sun? It is actually 4.3 light years away. So in our scale model, how far would you have to put the next star away from this sun from Earth? How far do you think? I mean, would you have to put it 1,000 yards away to give it? In that? I mean, imagine 1,000 yards in this scale model. How about a mile? No, you would have to put it 4,000 miles away. And that gives you the perspective of how far the nearest star is to us by the scale model. Now, that would take you about 51 billion years, I guess, to get there by jet. <laughs> uh, the stars at night. Now, we could look at the 
the stars at night. They say that the stars that are visible at night are roughly 100 to 1,000 light years away, many of them. Yet there are some stars at night that are 4,000, if you could see with the naked eye, that are actually 4,000 light years away. On a clear night out in the country, I'm sure, with no city lights, you could actually see some of them that are actually 4,000 light years away. That means that the light from that star that we are currently seeing was released before Moses parted the Red Sea. And it's been traveling 670 million miles an hour, hurling through space nonstop for 4,000 years to just now hit our eyes. That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's crazy. The next galaxy to us is about 2.3 or 2.31 billion light years away. Now, some of our minds are already blown right now, right? I mean, we're just, I, I can't. And, and even if you think about that, there are, they say there are clusters of galaxies. And then there are, are galaxies and all kinds of, scientists estimate that there are billions of galaxies. I, I just want to give you just a little picture about how big our God is. See, we serve a limitless God. And even the things I've listed to you this morning are just, just the tip of the iceberg for how large and, and dominant. God, God is limitless. He's limitless. Now, here's the problem that I want to present to you today. Our limited thinking has the power to limit a limitless God. Our limited thinking actually limits the power of a limitless God in our life, in the people around us, in our family, in the expression of what God can do in our life. Do you realize that our limited thinking can limit a limitless God? That's crazy, and yet it's absolutely true. Let's go back to verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. Now, we just talked about the limitless power of God, the limitlessness of God. It's amazing. Through his spirit, he wants to do something inside of you with all of that, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. All that power, limitless power of God, God wants to fill you with all that fullness. I just talked about all that universe and all the billions of galaxies, and yet Isaiah talks about how God measures the, the universe in the span of his hand. Like the, the vast ocean, that's just a little drop in his hand. And yet, at the same time, he wants us to be filled with all his fullness. Why? He wants to be strengthened with his power, grounded in his love. To, he wants us, it's, if you read this carefully, he wants us to be able to know the unknowable, to, to think the unthinkable, to imagine the unimaginable, to be filled with all fullness according to the power at work within him. He's, Paul is praying these things for the church at Ephesus. Why? Because they don't have these things currently. A lot of people say, well, I have all the Holy Spirit I need. Really? Evidently not. 
You don't have, you're not filled with the fullness. You don't have the strength on the inner being. There are times in our life when we need to be praying for these types of things to be filled with more of the fullness of God, to know something we don't know, to imagine something we haven't imagined yet. They didn't have these things. Why? The Bible says that they did not comprehend them, so they could not have them. Did you see that in there? It says he was praying for them to comprehend them so that they could have them. He, they had to comprehend something so they could have something. And, and here's the case I'm making for you this morning, that God is unleashed in our lives to the degree that the limits comes off our thinking. God's love is unleashed in your life to the degree that the limits come off of your thinking. God's forgiveness is unleashed in your life to the degree that the limits come off of your thinking. God's power is unleashed in your life to the degree that the limits come off of your thinking. It's according to what? It says according to the power at work within us. Here's the question. How much power is working within you? How much power? Because that's what it's according to. And here's the statement I want you to get this morning. When we take our, the limits off our thinking, we take the limits off our God. So that's my challenge to you this morning. Can we take the limits off our thinking? Because when we do that, we take the limits off our God. And too many of us, sadly, are living trapped in a box of our own making. We're living trapped in a box of our own thinking, our own box. I read this thing uh, years ago, and this just really stuck with me. This guy, June 12, 1978, Bill White, 44 years old, he decided that he was going to pull off a stunt and get a Guinness Book of World Records and be buried underground as, and to see if he could get the record. There's a picture of him right, right here. There he is, picture looking down into this hole, and he was underground for 144 days, two hours and 55 minutes. How many of you guys, that is your worst nightmare right there. I mean, that's, you dream about that. Like that's your worst nightmare to be claustrophobic and stuck. And this guy did it just as a stunt for 144 days underground. And it was six feet coffin by like three feet. Uh, I mean, this is what this guy did. I, I, I how many of you guys hate being claustrophobic? Anybody? I mean, that's like, yeah. Whenever I go to Worlds of Fun or some amusement park and they put the, the, the thing down, have you guys ever, they put the thing down over you if you're riding a roller coaster and then for whatever reason, I mean, I, I, it's a good thing they want you to not fall off, but they come over there and they'll just crank on that thing and latch it in as hard as they can. Have you guys know what I'm talking about? And then, I mean, I can't tell you how many times they've locked it in and I can't breathe. I'm just like, I cannot breathe right now. And so I've got a little trick now that I do. Anytime they come on, I'll lean forward. I'll suck myself full of air and then let them try to push it down. And I won't let them push it down. It's like, I'd rather fall out than not breathe. And I'm hanging on. Because I don't like that feeling of being trapped and suffocating and being stuck because I start to panic a little bit. I just don't like that at all. And you guys, many of us know what that's like. And yet, in our life, many times we're okay with that. We get trapped in a certain way of life. We get trapped in certain boxes and we just think this is the way it is. It's the way it's always going to be. This is the way my marriage is going to be. This is the way my job is going to be, this is how my family runs, this is how it works, my relationship works with God, and we just settle into just okay. The scary thing is that many of us have gotten used to the box that we've made. So used to it, we may not even realize that it's a box anymore. And we just live in there, we hang out in there. One of the scariest things or examples in the Old Testament that, that messes with me every time I read it 
is found in Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 2, says, It's 11 days' journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. Say, so why does that disturb you, Sean? <laughs> well, that's the backstory that disturbs me. It's because for 400 years the people of God were slaves in Egypt, and they had been delivered by Moses out of Egypt. In, they were supposed to go to the promised land. They ended up in the wilderness for 40 years before they actually possessed it because of small thinking, because somebody couldn't think outside of their box. And so they wandered around in the wilderness long enough for the first generation to die off so that only those who had vision for the promised land, God had a good land for them. And from where they were to be led out of Egypt to the promised land, the Bible says it was an 11-day journey. It's like walking on foot from here to Columbia, Missouri. Okay, If you were to walk on foot from here to Columbia, Missouri, take you about 11 days, some odd hours to get there. Okay. It didn't take them 11 days. It took them 40 years. It should have just taken them 11 days, but they were content in the box that they had made for themselves. This was the box called less than God's best. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, it says, The Lord our God says, and this is after they've been hanging out there for years and years and years. You've stayed long enough at this mountain. Take your journey. Go to the hills. He skipped down. He said, it goes to verse 8. He says, see, I've set the land before you. Go in and take possession of it. Take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give to them and their offspring after them. See, God had his best waiting for them. He called it a land full of milk and honey. Those were symbols in the Bible for abundance, for big thinking, for a new life, for a new way. It was all ready for them. It should have just taken them 11 days, and yet 40 years later, most of them didn't make it in. And some of you guys, some of us this morning, we've stayed in our box long enough, way too long. We've stayed right where we are. And it should have taken us 11 days, but, but here we are, and that's okay. Because God's best is still waiting for you. If you're willing to say yes this morning, God's best is still waiting for you to get out of the box and into God's best. You see, you, you may want to live in, 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 you say, well, I want that, I want that. But here's the problem. As long as you can live without God's best, you will. As long as you can live without God's best, you will. So when I, I was a teenager, I worked construction, and I did not like to spend any money as a teenager, especially on work-related items. Because I was a teenager. I just wanted to spend money on whatever. And so I worked a job of construction. And so you're supposed to have tools. And so you're supposed to have a tool belt with, you know, a tool pouch and hammer and, and tape measure. And in the winter, we worked in harsh winter. You, you know, you're supposed to have winter gear and coats and gloves and all this type of stuff. Well, I didn't want to spend any money. So my shoes were old, old tennis shoes that had holes in them. They, they had no traction. I'd have to get up on roofs with no traction and slide, I mean, basically be willing to slide off to my death. But I was not going to spend any money on shoes. I had, uh, I mean, jackets and coats that had rips in them. I had tool belt. I, I, my belt, my tool belt broke, and so I replaced it with a bungee cord. And so when I'd walk, it would like bounce up and down. I'd just be walking, you know. 
But I wasn't spending any money. I had like a tape measure that was like one of those little pink tape measures for just a small season uh, that had, you know, it was like one of those kid type ones because I, I was in between. I didn't want to spend any money. Then like, I got to spend some money, you know. I had, had just a, a hammer that was, it was just, it was pathetic. And one year, something, I went through a cold winter, cold winter, painful cold winter, and something snapped in me. And I said, I'm never going to do that again. So that next winter, I went out and I, I bought, you know, Carhartt jacket, the overalls underneath. I bought these heavy-duty boots. I went online, and I bought some $140 mountain climbing gloves because they were, I mean, I read all the reviews. This is going to keep, I bought some ski goggles to wear in the winter. I, I mean, I was, I was like that kid off the Christmas story that couldn't get up. If I were to fall off the roof, I would have bounced. I'm convinced of it. I was just so ready because something shifted in me. And I just couldn't live without it anymore. Something needs to shift in us this morning that says, I cannot live without God's best for my life anymore. I'm not. I'm not going to settle. You realize how horrible of a word settling is? I hate that word. I'm just going to settle. God does not want us to just settle for barely making it by. He doesn't want us to just settle with less than his plan. He doesn't want us to settle with less than his best in our relationships. He doesn't want us just to settle. He wants to have his good plan roll out in our life. But something has to shift. As they say, that, that the pain of staying the same, it has to outweigh the pain of the change. And that takes a switch. And so I want you, as we're going through the rest of this message, to get an area in mind in your life right now where if God could do the impossible... If you could have the limits taken off, what area would that be? For some of us, our finances, it's, some of us, our marriage, for some of us, our ministry. For, for, it's going to be different for every person. It may be a specific situation. But just get in your mind, just for a second. If I could have just the limits and a breakthrough in any area of my life, what would that be? And if there could just be a limitless God just pouring in, what would that be? And as we do that, I want you to to keep that in mind as we go into and we start to bust some limited thinking. I'm going to share just a couple, just two things today on limited thinking. The, the first limited thinking that really gets us is this, when we let our past determine our future. When we look at our past track record, we look at our past and we start saying, man, this is, this is how it's going to be. This is the lid for my life. That word comprehend in that passage there, you know that word we think of it meaning to understand. Here's what the word literally means in the original language. It means to acquire, to attack, to seize, to overpower, to take and lay hold of. That sounds pretty aggressive, doesn't it? To acquire, to attack, to seize, to overpower. So when he's saying to comprehend, it means to take hold of, to acquire, to possess. Listen, we don't have all that we can have simply because... We haven't taken back what is rightfully ours. We don't have what we can have because we haven't taken back what's rightfully ours. How many of you guys hate losing? Anybody just hate losing? Just be honest. Okay, I hate losing. Have you guys ever played board games with, with friends? And then you realize we're not as good as friends as I thought we were. It's like, don't ever play. Don't ever do this. Don't ever go and play board games. And then if you're like with a bunch of friends and everybody's like, hey, let's split up guys and girls. 
Let's, let's do that. No, that's a way to ruin your marriage, guys. That's just the way to do that, okay? If, don't do that. Because especially when you got people there who just don't like to lose. I'm one of the, I don't want to lose. And so when I was a, a teenager, I played this game. Some of you guys are familiar with it. It's the game called Risk. How many of you guys have ever played Risk before? Risk is a game that was invented actually by a French film director named Albert. I'm not joking. That's actually what happened. And it's... Uh, it used to be called, it was released in 1957, it was, used to be called The Conquest of the World. I know, by France. You wouldn't think France would come up with that, but they did. And uh, so, but they did. And so, uh, basically, the goal is you get armies and you start off with certain countries or territories, and your goal is to eventually take over the world. Uh, to eventually, I mean, whenever your opponents, friends, whenever your friends uh, and you battle one another and your whole goal is to dominate, to crush them, to leave them going home a loser. That is the goal of the game. And if you are on the winning side of that, you're having a great day. If you're not, you've just ruined many friendships, you know, and so that's the goal. I used to play Risk. I'm not kidding, for hours. We would have eight to 10 hour games. How many of you guys have ever been involved in like an eight hour risk game? Just hold your hand up, proud. I mean, just, just own it right there. Eight hours or more, get risk game. Really, let, let me do it again. Just look around, people. Look at these people who need to get, need to get delivered, right? Because <laughs> I'm with you, I was there. And so we used to, when we played risk, it was a full contact sport. I am not kidding you. We would, we would do, you were there sometimes, right? So we would do, we would stand up and we would have a room, like a big room, and we would roll the dice across the room. There was yelling. Sometimes there was fist fights going on, not quite fist fights, but there were, I mean, it was a full contact sport and it lasted for hours, sometimes days. Eventually we found a pinata that we spray painted gold. At, you know it was going downhill at this point. We were not even Christians at this point. And we spray painted the gold as some sort of trophy that we won that got passed around by whoever won. Eventually, this lasted for years, and one of the guys who won it moved away. Well, we wanted to have an epic risk tournament again years after the fact, and so he was bringing it back home, and he was flying on an airplane. He actually bought a plane ticket for the pinata, flew the pinata home for this risk tournament. I'm just trying to set the stage for how into this I was and how much I do not like losing. But the point is, there is a point to this. I'm trying to remember it, but there is a point. <laughs> the, the point is, where's that risk game again? Let's get back to this. All right. The point is that you're, you're trying to take over territories. Now, there's games like this. This is a great picture of what Satan likes to do to us. We have certain territories. You can see the different colors. Have certain territories. Imagine if some of those territories, one of those territories was your marriage. One of them were your finances. One of them might be just relationships with your family or friends. And one of them might be career or dreams. Before you were even saved, this game was going on. Where Satan was trying to win the battle and acquire territories in your life. Trying to acquire real estate in your mind. Real estate of your identity. Real estate of how you think. Of where you think you can win and where you cannot. And what he would do, and sometimes what happens is in the game of risk, 
If you get an area, let's say you get Australia here, you get Australia, what you want to do is you want to build up some armies there so that no one, it's just impenetrable after a while. No one could go up against those armies. So what Satan does is he loves to take a series of events in your life, a series of events in your marriage, of failures, of ways that he's won, of territory that he's grabbed, and then eventually he's fortified that area. So that whenever you have an issue... All of a sudden, you, you think, well, I can't win there anymore. I, I better go and focus on some other area of my life. I'm just, I'm not going to win there. And eventually, he keeps taking more territory. Here, here's the truth that I want you to understand. He's trespassing. He doesn't have legal right once you come, once you're in Christ. Because the scripture says that we now have the mind of Christ. And so any area that he tries to take over, he may temporarily control, but it's only because we've released our rights to it. And so we have all this territory, and God doesn't want us to to live. So he plays out this game in our mind. He takes over territories, and he begins to build strongholds in our thinking. It may be some things that happened when you were a kid that all of a sudden you think, oh, I can't win at relationships. I can't win with my parents. I can't win. And then pretty soon you get into adulthood, and pretty soon that territory has been fortified, and it's become a stronghold in your life because of situation after situation. Let me give you some examples. There were two things that almost stopped this church from starting before it ever began. And there, it, there are similar things that will actually also, that may stop many of the dreams that God has for you, even before they, they come to pass. There are things that may stop you from getting in your promised land. Let me share with you what they are, and then I'll describe how it plays out. The, first, the two things are this, a lie that I believed and an inner vow that I made. Those two things almost stopped this church before it ever started. So let's deal with the first one, a lie that I believed. And here's the lie that I believed, that I was told, that reinforced, that Satan began to take territory in my life. And it's this, you're not a starter. And I, that may not mean anything to you, but it, just, it began when I was in junior high, which ought to be outlawed, Right? junior high, and uh, lived at a, we lived in a small town, 400 people in the town, lived at, went to a small school, 180 people in kindergarten through 12th grade, that's not the class, that's not the grade, that's the school, okay, 13 people in my class, that's how small it was, and uh, the junior high basketball team, I did not start, I sat on the bench, and so in my mind, which is surprising, right, Bob? I mean, I'm a really good basketball player. I mean, you just... <laughs> and, uh, and so I sat on the bench. And so I just kind of got this identity. I, I'm not a starter. I, I'm just, I sit on the bench. If I get in there, I'm just going to play really hard. But I'm not a starter. Well, you know, later on, I started to work for my dad. He, started a bu- he had a business in construction. And I would work really hard in the business and lead a construction crew at one point. But my brother, Ben, who's back with your kids right now, I believe, uh, he went off and he started his own business based off of what he gained. And, and I just kind of had this in my mind. Well, I'm not a starter. I'm, I'm not, I don't start things. Um, that's just not what I do. And I'm really good at what I do. And so then I, I felt a call to ministry. I felt like, well, I'm supposed to be a youth pastor. And so I served under our youth pastor for a while. And and he, he had taken a youth ministry that was basically nothing and turned it into a couple hundred teenagers. 
And it started with just nothing. And so I took over as the youth pastor, and, and it was great. A lot of great things happened. And at one point during my time there, I took what was already the largest youth ministry in the city and doubled it. I mean, I was standing there before a thousand teenagers preaching and yet still have this thought, yeah, but you didn't start this because you're not a starter. You can take something that, and you can make it better, but, but you don't start things. And so this territory was grabbed in my mind in so many different ways that you're not a starter. Now, you know, I could make it better, but I couldn't start it from scratch. Now, when God called us to start the church, do you know what the first thing Satan said to me? You're not a starter. You're, you don't do that. Somebody else might start, your dad might start a church, so your friends might start a church, but you don't do that because you're not a starter. And so what had he done? He had created territory in my mind. And so I had believed that lie. And this church almost wasn't planted because I believed that lie. Because I had held on to that. Listen, too many times we're focused on what we're doing or what we're able to do instead of what we're believing. We, get, we think what we're doing is important. If we want to change our life, well, i got to do something different. i got to do, well, that's true to a certain degree. But what's more important than what you're doing is what you're believing. Because believing leads to everything else. It's possible to change your external situation, your circumstances, your surrounding, and still not change your mindset. And whenever you do that, you always right-size back to what you really believe, not what you're actually doing. And so we, we change our situation or we get in different circumstances. It's possible to change your behavior and still not be free on the inside. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, I can act one way on the outside and still not be free on the inside because I'm focusing on what I'm doing instead of what I'm believing. That's why God is not about behavior modification. He's about inner transformation. He's not about your behavior changing. He's about in here changing. Because if in here changes, everything else will change. It's just a done deal. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are. The rest will come. And so here's what a lot of us do. We end up focusing real hard on not doing wrong. But we're trying to solve the wrong problem. Because it's not about what we do. It's about what we are believing what we believe is what we become, not the other way around. And so whenever we find that we keep messing up and we have a cycle of mess up over and over and over again, we find ourselves in, which every single person here does, we find ourselves in a cycle of sin, a cycle of mess up, a cycle of struggle, back and forth, back and forth. We, we don't need to go back and try to fix what we're doing. We need to go back and find the lie that we've believed. We need to, because our mess ups are always in our misbelieving, not in our doing. It's a, when we mess up, it's because of misbelieving. So focusing on our behavior never sets us free from it. It's always when we focus on our believing. What do we believe? What do I believe about my spouse? What do I believe about my God? What do I believe about what's possible? What do I believe? We focus on the truth and not the lie. So that, that's the lie, I believe, that almost stopped the church from starting. Now, the second thing was a vow that I made. And the inner vow that I made was this, I will never be stuck in a ministry again. I'll never be stuck. Because I hate being stuck. You say, well, why, why were you stuck? Well, see, later on, I'll just, I'm just being real with you this morning. Later on in that ministry, I, I really had to make some changes and I had to make a decision because I found myself stuck between having a job that I loved, a ministry that I love, friends that I love, 
and having to leave that because of some things that were going on there that, would not, that was not right. And I felt trapped because this was everything I loved about this, everything I'd worked hard, my whole life was there. But I felt trapped and I felt stuck and I felt like this pressure of just being stuck in a situation. And I, and, and I, and I eventually left and uh, it was a horrible feeling. It was painful. Rumors started that were untrue. I mean, just lies and lost friends because I left and they stayed and just a lot of pain involved in that. And so I made a vow to myself. Well, I'm never going to be put in that situation again. I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to feel like I'm, I'm stuck in that situation, in a long-term situation where I just feel like I can't get out of. And so I made an inner vow. Inner vows, we've talked about this before, but inner vows are always an I will never or I will always. I will never be hurt again. I will always defend myself. I will, they all, and every single person here, I guarantee you we have them. And we can get them broke. But, but that vow almost stopped this church from starting. Because I didn't want to ever feel stuck again. And here's the thing about vows. Inner vows are made out of fear and not of faith. What had happened? Satan had gained territory in my mind. He'd gained territory in my life. And my limited thinking almost limited a limitless God. I almost limited what God wanted to do because of a vow that I'd made to myself. Listen, when we let our past determine our future, what we're doing is we're, we're letting Satan gain territory that doesn't belong to him. It does not matter what's happened in your past up to this point. There are consequences. There are issues. Yes. But whatever's happened in the past does not have to determine what is possible in the future. Everything, until you have this hope that everything can be different now, you will be stuck on this side of the promised land. At some point, there has to be something that rises up in you that says everything can be different now. I mean, everything can be different now. See, God has dreams for you to be fulfilled regardless of what's happened in your past because when we take the limits off our thinking, we take the limits off our God. God wants to do amazing things in your life right now. But it's all trapped in a box of where we've limited our thinking. All right, let me give you the, the next thing. And it's this. Limited thinking is when we focus on our resources instead of God's riches. You know, that, that verse there, it says in, uh, let's see if I can find it. It says, uh, I know it's in here. In verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. According to your resources, will you be strengthened inside? Or is it according to God's riches, will you be strengthened inside? And we've already talked about how God is a limitless God. He's a limitless God. Do you realize that God has so many more dimensions that we don't even understand? How many of you guys have ever read that book, uh, Flatland? This is an old book. Some of you, many of you guys have not. Okay. Some of you guys have, have. It's basically, it's written like a hundred and something years ago. I'm not going to tell you the, the whole book. But it was basically, the, the premise is this. He created a world, imagined a world, where 
Imagine a piece of paper, and drawn on the piece of paper were just like triangles and circles and squares and stuff, and it, as if the whole world were just two-dimensional. See, it's hard for us to imagine all the dimensions that we can't taste, see, touch, feel, or whatever. Sometimes the only way to imagine that there are other dimensions is for us to take one of them away. And so if we were to take away our third dimension and just imagine a two-dimensional world, and instead of looking at it, where you could see all the shapes. Imagine if you lived in that land with really no height and you were to look at all the shapes evenly, they would all just look like lines, wouldn't they? They wouldn't look like shapes. Eventually, you'd learn how to distinguish from one another and to act in that world. And then imagine if there was somebody who came in and tried to explain there's more than just these lines. There's more than just two dimensions, these guys would not know how to understand that, would that? That's a all, you mean there's a height? What is height? We don't understand height. Listen, God has more dimensions just like that for us that we don't understand. It's kind of like I've, I've seen some of those things on the internet recently where people bought these special glasses for these people. I guess they're colorblind or something like that. And have you guys seen these things where then they'll, they'll try on these special glasses for the first time and for the very first time they're able to see like color in a way that they've never seen it before and just their response is just amazing. I believe that that's what God wants for us. There are dimensions out there that we just have not experienced because we're just looking at our resources. But God has brand new glasses for us to put on. We may not be able to fathom right now, but it's because we're just focused on our resources. And I'm going to give you a powerful word, phrase, that I got from watching cartoons with my eight-year-old. <laughs> Uh, I, we watched this cartoon, well, she watches this cartoon, called Wild Kratts. Has anybody seen, if you have kids, you might see. Wild Kratts are these two brothers who, they, they, they are in real life, you know, camera. They talk, they, they do all this uh, talking about the, the cool things about animals and all these facts and all these figures. And then they start to go into this section where they say, imagine if we had the powers of these, this turtle, or we could do this and walk really slow. I don't know what it is. We had these powers of this, this uh, turtle. And so then they, at this one point, and we do this every time, whether we're in the car watching it, whether we're wherever, they, they jump into this pose and they say, what if? Have you guys ever seen this? Is it just me? All right. Some of you guys know, don't leave me hanging, please. And so every time this happens, we're just, what if? And we do it together. The other day we were in the car and it was Becca and I and uh, Lindsay and then the, uh, their daughter, Emily. And so all of us at the same time driving down the road, what if? And that's a powerful question. And I've been dwelling on that. Imagine if, what if, imagine if. Imagine if is probably one of the most powerful phrases you could do, use when you think about God. Just imagine if God and then whatever, fill in the blank. You may start with that phrase and it may be solving little problems in your mind. But as you begin to exercise that muscle of imagine if, pretty soon things get bigger. Pretty soon, the small imagine-ifs become large imagine-ifs. See, a lot of us are good at asking this question, what if everything goes wrong? What if I lose my job? What if things don't go right? Instead of, what if everything went right? What would that look like? Right now, what, what if everything went right in your marriage? Imagine if everything went right. 
Imagine if everything went right in your, your relationships. Imagine if everything went right at work. Imagine if everything went right right now in your life. Does anybody just feel lit? I mean, can you just sit there for a little bit? You say, well, I can't really go there. Well, go there, okay? Just go there. Imagine if. Because we serve a limitless God. Imagine if. As believers, if we have access to the creator, then we have ultimate access to creativity. Think about that for just a moment. All of you people who are in business, you have access to the creator. Why are we limiting to our resources instead of tapping into his riches? Listen, if you've got problems right now that you don't know how to solve, listen, you have access to the creator, which means you have access to creativity. The more, here's what should happen. The more we follow Jesus, the more we start thinking like him. And God doesn't think small thoughts. The more, and, and if you have been following Jesus and you aren't thinking more like him, maybe you need to adjust your following. May, we all do, okay? I'm not just saying maybe. I know it. I know we all. I'm saying I need to adjust my thinking because there is a lot in me that doesn't think like him, and so I need to lean into following him because if I follow him, I'll think like him. I'll think like him more and more and more. John Bevere, in, in his other book, uh, Good, Good or God, he used this example of this multi-billionaire who approaches these three young entrepreneurs, and he brings them into his office. He's a billionaire. Brings them into his office, and he says, listen, I am going to uh, fund your dream. Fund your dream business. I'm going to get ready to write a check right now for whatever your dream is. I, there's no strings attached. I just want to bless you. I just want to be, pass on a legacy. I just want you to be able to begin with no, no barriers or anything like that. I just want to fund your dream. And so the first one's like, great, man, this is awesome. What's your dream? He's like, well, I, I just want to build a bakery. I need some ovens. I need a storefront. I need, uh, you know, some capital resources. And he said, all right, how much do you need? Uh, probably about $100,000. I mean, I know that's a lot. I imagine somebody being willing to write the check like that. And he's like, no problem, $100,000. Gives it to him. He said, no strings attached. All right, what's the next guy? Next guy is like, well, I, I really want to be a home builder. I, I want to uh, be in construction and stuff, but I don't have any equipment. I don't have a way to get started. I need to buy some lots. I need to buy some tools and some equipment, and I just haven't been able to do that, and I'd really like to get started to do that. How much do you need? And he's like, well, you just wrote the other one, $100,000. So he gets bold enough to ask for $250,000, a quarter of a million dollars. And his guy's, all right, no problem. Right, $250,000, no strings attached. There you go. He asked the, the next one, the next one, what's your dream? What do you want? Goes, well, I want to build a, a business complex. I want to have a mall. I want to have a theme park in this area. I want to have uh, like, like parks and office complexes. And I just, I want to have all these different things, these, these retail stores, office buildings, condominiums, lush streets, and, and just begin to describe this whole little mini uh, area of town that they wanted to develop and they wanted to build. He said, all right, how much money do you need? Uh, $245 million. All right, $245 million check. Wrote the check, no strings attached. Three years later, he calls them back in for a meeting just to see how things are going and talks to the, the person who opened up a bakery and said, how, how's things going? He said, great. I'm, you know, I started a small business, a small business, and I'm, you know, everything, hard work and got all the equipment, and now I'm netting a couple thousand dollars a month that's just pure profit on top. They're like, great. 
Went to the, the home builder and said, well, how are things going with you? Well, things are going pretty good. I uh, sold four homes. I netted over $200,000. Everything seems to be going great. Went back to the, the other development person with the $245 million thing. He said, how's it going? He's like, well, I've, I've got a hotel that's 90% filled. I've got uh, my office complexes are 87% filled. Uh, the condominiums are sold out, 98% uh, filled in the high-rises and the retail stores. All of it is just going amazing. Uh, she'd taken out a percentage of the profits to fund food kitchens and to help with the homeless and to do uh, uh, some of the profits set aside to build similar complexes in major cities in several other major city, cities. And just begin to describe all of the success. And so ended up helping so many people with jobs and prosperity and just development. So the other two are sitting in this same meeting, like looking over at this, and are just quiet. And finally he asked me, he's like, why, why are you guys so quiet? And they're like, well, of course. They're doing all this stuff over there. You gave them $245 million. Of course they've got all this great stuff happening. Of course they, they're doing more. You gave him all this money. So he calls for his secretary, and he asks for the records of the meeting that they had, and he looks over the meetings, and he, he, the minutes of the meeting, he goes back over it, and he says, well, I, I told you that you could ask for anything you wanted. I put no limits on it. I put no demands on it. You could have asked for anything that you wanted. Why didn't you ask for more? Why didn't you ask for a larger bakery? Why didn't you ask for more money? Why didn't you ask for more capital? Why didn't you ask for multiple bakeries or multiple uh, businesses? And here's the truth that was revealed. The blessing wasn't limited. The blessing wasn't limited. Their vision was. He gave them according to their vision. Can I just suggest to you today that God is going to give you according to your vision, according to your thinking? Can God do above and beyond that? Yes. Does he do that? How many of you guys are thankful for that? But you know what that is? That's mercy and grace. But there are certain ways that God wants us to operate, and he wants us to think bigger than what we are. He wants us to think bigger. That's going to look different for every single person. But the truth remains. When we take the limits off our thinking, we take the limits off our God. Whenever we get out of the box, I love what Mark Batterson says. He says it this way. He says, we have to quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. Go after a dream that is destined to fail without divine intervention. What I'm simply trying to get you to do today is to think a little more like God thinks. When God thought about saving the world, he didn't just think about saving somebody. He thought about the whole world. When God created, he didn't just think about creating. He created large. In your life, God doesn't want to just do a little something, bring a little love, bring a little. No, he wants to do something way beyond what you could do in your own strength. But your limited thinking is going to be the lid. My limited thinking is going to be the lid. No matter what's happened up until this point in your past, God still has good things for your future. How many of you guys believe that? Every morning, I eat one egg with some salsa on it. I'm, I'm serious. Like, every morning, the same thing. So why do you eat one egg every single morning with salsa on it? Well, I love salsa. That's one thing. I eat one egg because I have chickens. I've got 15 chickens, and they lay eggs. So I eat the eggs. And I eat a lot of eggs because I have a lot of chickens. 
And so I eat one egg every day. Here's the interesting thing about chickens. They say that chickens actually have a predetermined number of however many eggs they will ever lay in their life is already in them at birth. All the eggs that they'll ever have is a predetermined number at birth that's inside of them. Now, that's a lot of eggs. It could be a lot of eggs. Here's the problem. Some of the chickens get scared. If chickens are scared, they don't lay eggs. If chickens get scared, they die. I had one die uh, in a storm uh, last year. Just, just thunder, just dead. Just <laughs> not joking. So what happened? That chicken took a lot of eggs to the grave. There were a lot more eggs available. That chicken wasn't going to give any. Chickens will not lay eggs. I know this is an interesting little lesson for some of you guys, but uh, chickens will not lay eggs unless they have the right conditions, believe it or not. If it's dark, chickens won't lay eggs. They have to have light. They have to think that it's daytime. They won't lay eggs. If they're too cold, they won't lay eggs. If they're losing feathers, they won't lay eggs. It doesn't matter how many eggs are in this chicken. If the conditions aren't right, they won't lay them. Some chickens, if they stop producing eggs because they get scared or, or whatever, what happens? They might see an early grave because uh, I might eat them because they're not producing any more eggs. So uh, it's, it's a possibility. It's on the table. Not yet, but it will be someday. <laughs> the, the point is this. Imagine if God put all these dreams on the inside of you at new birth, whenever you got saved. You don't know what they all are. You don't know what they look like, but they're all there. But just like the chicken, you have to have the right conditions if you're going to produce what God wants to produce in your life. And if you're operating out of fear, neglecting the things that God has for you, hurt, scared, whatever it is, you are not going to have those, those dreams will not see the light of day. No one will be able to eat the fruit of those things. And you may take these dreams, this thing that God has for you, to your grave. But I'm, I'm convinced that there's a, already a predetermined number of dreams and things that God wants you to accomplish in you right now. And why do I say that? I say that because it doesn't matter what's happened up till this point. They're still there. It's still possible. All you need to have is an imagine if rise up in you. Say, God, what does this look like? I'm suggesting that your past does not change what God has already placed in you from the beginning. I don't care if you're on a detour right now. It's still there. It's still there. It may not be what you thought it once was because maybe you had a different idea of what it was, but it's still there. And it's about time for, for somebody, and that's what I want to do today, I want to hold you accountable to that. I love this quote from Bill Johnson. I've got it up on the screen. If we can put it up on the screen, it says this. We often think accountability is something we hold each other to to keep each other from doing something wrong. But in the kingdom, we hold each other accountable to our destiny and prophecy. What I'm wanting to do today is I want to hold you accountable for your dreams. I don't want to sit there and hold you accountable for what you're doing wrong. That's what we, we think of accountability groups. We need accountability groups to keep me from sinning and not looking at porn and all the kind of... No, 
Somebody needs to hold you accountable. Are you following after what God has set, has set in front of you? Because that's what I want to do for you today. I want to hold you accountable for what the dreams that God has put in there from the very beginning. I want to challenge you right now. Are you going to live those out? Or are you just settling for less than God's best? Because you will never go into God's best for your life if you can, as long as you can just live with less than God's best. And so as we started today, I talked about that quote about repenting from unbelief in the possibles. And I just want to end with that question. What do you need to repent of? What impossibility do you need to repent of today? Well, uh, that's not going to happen. or It can't be that way. No, more, no, it's, that's already gone. What impossibility? Can we just take a moment and just repent? I have the worship team come back up. Are you thinking small? Let me challenge you even further. Are you thinking only about your life? I love Casey Treat said this a long time ago. He said, if God answered all your prayers right now, would the world look different or just your personal life? Let me say that one again. If God answered all of your prayers right now, would the world look different or just your personal life? See, at some point, our dreams have to go beyond us. And they're really for other people, aren't they? They're really for other people. They're really not about me having a better life. It's about letting the kingdom of God come through my life to other people. That's where we need to think bigger. That's where we need to think larger. And many of us are just stuck in limited thinking, and we've limited what God wants to do through us. Can we stand up as we pray? I want to call, call us to repentance this morning. Repentance is not a bad word. It's actually a wonderful word. It means there's hope for change. It means that whatever you've been staring at up to this point, to this week, whatever it is, I can repent of the way I've been thinking. And when I take the limits off my thinking, I take the limits off my God. Lord, we just thank you so much for your power. We know it can work within us. And Lord, we make a decision today that we're going to comprehend, we're going to take hold of, we're going to seize, we're going to acquire, we're going to get the territory back where Satan is trespassing in our life, trying to build a stronghold. We have the authority in Jesus Christ to take that back, to take the limits off our thinking, to know that we You've given that to us. We are the rightful owners of the real estate in our mind and in our heart and in our life, in our emotions. We, we, have the rightful, uh, we have the rightful deed to that territory, and we take that back this morning. Lord, we thank you for setting people free this morning. We thank you for taking the lid off our thinking. Lord, we just declare that it's so in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.